Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing October. Bad hair, bad font. I, I fall down. Without them, we are nothing. It's fast, it's messy. There's a fire in me. He's bringing them back to rock and roll. From innocence to experience, join us on our musical journey as we talk you through the album October. So let's start off. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna do this one time feature. Is that okay with you, Johnny? Well, if it's a good one, then we'll bring it back every oh, it's, week. Oh, it's a good one. It's even got a jingle. Oh, go on then. Story since boy. Ah, I see how we can't bring that back every week. So fair enough. No, it, I, but it was lovely. If they do a third album, we could uh, we we might be able to do something else but let's talk about what they've been doing since boy since we left them since we reviewed the last album it's now october 1981 about a year on they have done a grueling u.s tour they have brought out the album in the u.s with an alternate cover also they um supported the talking heads big names yeah reasonably speaking and i've never heard of this award uh have you ever heard of a hot press award yeah they give it to paninis Right. <laughs> I have actually heard Great of Great joke. Press That's brilliant. <laughs> well, I made you laugh. Go on. They won nine of them. For wow. Boy. Well, fair enough. Now, I don't know if that's impressive because it's not exactly a Grammy or an Emmy or something I've heard of. It's not even a Brit Music Award. No, but fractionally, it might work its way up to, I don't know, a fifth of a Oscar. <laughs> well, that's, well, they almost won two Oscars then. Oh, okay. So now we're here with October that came out on the 13th of October 1981 they had already re-released Fire which was the only single that they hadn't recorded for the October sessions and for the first time there is new material for U2 fans only a year after Boy that is crazy comparative to well A their output these days and also the output of the expected output of bands just beginning. You wouldn't normally be pushing, you know, for a year after. It'd usually be maybe two years, something yeah. like that. It was quite. It's quite a crazy year for them. Like for any stretch of the imagination, they went from being nobody hmm. to being pretty much the hottest thing around. And the last thing I want to say about Boy is quite interestingly, it was August when Boy peaked in the charts. It got to number fifty-two, which was the highest it ever got to. Is this in 1980? This is, uh, this is in 1981. Okay. So it took nearly a year for the album to really reach its peak. So they're still quite relevant. People haven't had time to forget about them. They've been touring. They've been doing all these things. They've been re- winning awards. And then this new album comes out. Okay. And it has the worst album cover ever. Does it? Yes, definitely. It's terrible. I... I like it. I felt like we didn't talk enough about the cover last time. But I, I didn't like it until I researched this album, which is the beauty of going back and re-listening and reviewing and uh, understanding uh, the context a little bit more. Uh, I actually am now a fan of the album cover, but it is a key part of my uh, review of one of the songs okay, well, later on. Well, I'll just say for now, bad hair, bad font, bad layout in terms of spacing bad photography it's a terrible album cover and it's it's weird because of how amazingly iconic the boy cover which i really like i like the original i actually quite like the us version as well um you reminded me about that and i think that the boy one obviously syncs up so well with war and when they went back to do those best ofs you know for the 80s to 90s they they went to that material you know all these spur photographs that were around from that particular shoot they did not go back to the terrible picture that was used for october but i'm, I'm dying to hear what you've got to well, say about m- maybe it maybe i've uh kind of injected a meaning onto it well if you've done some research and that's great because i have not done very much this week well i've kind of, I can, uh, kind of connected the dots and i've not read any anywhere that the album is supposed to be the album cover is supposed to be about that mm. but maybe i've connected the dots but we should talk about what in rock and roll is called the curse of the second album Yep. It's a tough thing to do. How many bands honestly have done a a second album which is 
more successful than the first. I would say Ramones Leave Home's pretty bloody good. I don't know about commercially more successful or if it's more iconic, but I think it's a better album than their first album off the top of my head. But there's not many. And it is, I mean, that was the phrase that kept coming back to me all the way through this. I found this a really interesting yet frustrating listen. I think it is because of all the factors that come along with the second album, you know, and the pressures of that, how soon it is and the expectation. And whether you, you go with the grain of the last album or you try and do something different. Well... I, I agree. I, I, it's, it is tough. It's also harder to appreciate the time as well, if you weren't there. But I, from my experience, how many, I, I can't think of many bands where they've brought out a second album and it really pushes my opinion further. Normally you have to wait for a third album if they even get there. Well, feel free to uh, to list some, listeners, if you um, if you can think of those classic second albums that have you know, exceeded expectations, you know, the kind of Terminator 2s of rock. I wanted to start with a review. Okay. By somebody else, or an introduction by somebody else, a guy called Paul Moody, yep. who I believe is um, a musical journalist. Because you, by you two's own um, admission, there is a lot of things wrong with this album. It, yeah. They they have never pretended this album is perfect. Look at the best of, you know, the first best of. It's like they're trying to make excuses yeah. for it. But just to give an idea of the context, Paul Moody says, by 1981, the long-term forecast for rock and roll was bleak with that Thatcherism in full swing and punk developing a dull Q-esque surliness as a consequence. That is the environment, and I thought that really summed up where we are in October 1981. Gloria. So this is the opening track. And going into this album review, I wanted to make a conscious effort to impose a couple of rules on myself. Not particularly big changes from the way I listened to the last album. But number one, a massive pair of headphones, proper headphones with closed cans, and to try and listen to the album in one full sitting if possible, which I basically managed. I did side one, took a break, side two. And that made such a difference in terms of the power of this song in particular. The opening riff, the vocal performance is so intense on this song that it sets an amazing precedent for the album, which I don't think the album fully lives up to, which is frustrating. But in terms of this track, it's brilliant. What yeah. do you think, Tyler? Uh, I agree. I had actually had to walk down to a job interview uh, the other day uh, with a doll-esque surliness about me. Um, I was... It was a sunny day, lovely day, I was up early, smartly dressed, and I put this album on, mainly to just, so I listened, I had listened to it at least once before we reviewed it, and I really felt like it, it was giving me energy, and uh, uh, that thumping bass, the drums, it, it's, such a, it's such a great way to start an album, mm. and uh, the fact that it's, it's not really ever left the, the set list. It might have one one or two shows off, but it normally comes back around. And I'm always... It's still... I'm quite happy to listen to it. It's a good way to start, and I, but I knew Gloria was going to be a start. A, a good start to the album. I su- I'm surprised that you say it's been... I mean, I haven't been forensically through the set list or anything like that, but I was personally very surprised when you and I went to watch you 2 at the O2, third night, and this was one of the first songs in the punk section, you know, quote-unquote punk section. I was really happy that we got Glory because I hadn't expected it, I hadn't heard it live before. So I don't know how how prevalent it is, but I was so happy to hear it, and I got a sense of the energy of that was the fact that they didn't play every show. I mean, I don't think they have to play I Will Follow live every time, even though it's good. I think that was the th- first time we'd heard it. Yeah. It was the first time we'd seen it live, and it, it was a, you know what songs you've heard. So when they played that, it's like, oh, we've not heard this one. It's, it's like mm. collecting Pokemon cards or something. It's one you haven't got yet. It's an appeal to the kids uh, listening to the uh, show. Yeah, all, the, all the kids listening to a 40-year-old band. Uh, hey, I was one of them. I was a boy once. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really got this time listening to this song, the lyrics, and there was turmoil in the band at this time. Three members, and we won't mention who, <laughs> um, 
had come out as religious, quite and quite religious. They had to attend, I think, daily readings and meetings and a meeting for the songs. the Shalom group. I think is what it's called. Yeah. I don't know anything about them beyond the fact that they were a much more fervently Christian um, movement than you would expect a rock band to be in today. I mean, someone like Brandon Flowers, for example, tries to keep his. He's not ashamed in any way of his faith, but he doesn't talk about his Mormonism a lot. But yeah, there, were, there was definitely an intensity of religiosity in the band at this time, which almost ripped them apart. Yeah, and you, you can't deny that when you listen to... There is tension in this album. Yeah. Uh, and there, there are ideas of self-doubt, and they are aware that this is the second album. It's it's so interesting. Uh, the, li- the lyrics themselves, I try to sing this song, mm. but I, I, can't, I try to stand up. Um, I'm forgetting the lyrics. Uh, <laughs> it's a good job I'm not Bono. Uh, I try to sing this song, I try to stand up, but I can't find my feet. I try to get in, but I can't find the door. The door is open, you're standing there, you let me in. It's almost like Bono, a lot of self-doubt, he knows where he wants to go. He knows where he wants to be, but he's not entirely sure how to get there. And he's willing to ask for help. So even though you have this um, Gloria, Latin for glory, you have this big song that makes you think that everything's fine in the U2 camp. Hmm. this album is riddled with clues that that is not the case yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, and I think that, that, that you've got that huge celebration in the last chorus which does try to give that sense that everything's great, you know, here is glory. And this song is glorious, it's glorious to listen to. I mean, I can say that in a secular sense, it's, you know, it's glorious. But all the way through, and this is something we'll come back to, there are repeated references to the fact that Bono doesn't know what to sing, that he doesn't have his lyrics. I think, from what I can tell, he literally didn't have a lot of the lyrics because they were stolen at one point. Um, maybe we'll get into that later on. And it's very interesting. I think it's good that if you genuinely have nothing to write about, the first place then is to say, I will write about not being able to write. Yeah. However, there is a fine line between that and just bewildered bluster, really, and not knowing where you're going. They were exhausted. Think of the year they've had from the release of Boy. Take your off, guys. You're going to be millionaires not too long off. <laughs> I, that's something I actually... I think I've written it down you know, in one of the songs later on. If only they'd known. Or if, you know, if someone could have just tapped them on the shoulder and go, you know what, lads, it's going to be all right. Just just calm down. Because they're still really young. They're still early 20s. Mm. It's, it's, it's a difficult listen uh, for me when I, when I realise the turmoil that they're in and know how much they're worrying. Because we've all been young kids and worrying about stuff, mm. especially in this... in a world that they're really still quite new to. That's new to, you two were new to the world. Oh, Tyler, what's happened to you? I, I fall down. Well, that's not grammatically correct. It's I fell down. I'm really interested to know how rubbish that sound I, sounded. I knew going into this that you would do something i looked at the title and i sighed inwardly and thought maybe he won't i i could have and he did thrown myself off the stool but that would have been anyway i fall down i fall down track two on october i feel this song has um, a lot of similarities with gloria there's a a certain juxtaposition of ideas uh it's quite a big song quite upbeat rocky great bass by adam uh, which which I I found out was it's every track. No, well maybe I do say it too much, but I I found out. Okay, I I I did mention in the last track that three of the uh, members of the band had joined a religious group. The one who hadn't was Adam, and uh, allowing the an- anonymity of the other three members there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've no clue as no, to who they are. No, no good. But Steve Lillywhite noticed that Adam was kind of secluded. Mm. And uh, wasn't didn't feel as involved with you two, and and with the activities of his of his of the bandmates. So Lily White made the conscious decision to really make sure Adam's bass was always turned up, and always it always um, loud in this album, which well, I think is really nice of Lily White. That's very nice of Lily White, but. He didn't make. He didn't force Adam to play horrific pop and slap bass all the way through this. I mean, I, I think that. Do you not like the bass in, in the, the album generally? I I really like the bass in places. What I don't. I mean, I read a review which mentioned that 
Clayton is using at least three different types of bass playing on one track. Like, that's a good thing. There is such a thing as subtlety. And I guess if he's a I young guy... Yeah, yeah, well, there's... I mean, all the pop bass in Gloria I can just about get on board with. But there's some really ropey sections here from Clayton. And, I mean, if you're the the apologist for Adam, the Adam apologist, I'm the edge enthusiast. Okay. So I'll be uh, chanting for his corner. All right. um, which, in terms of I Fall Down, is great because... This starts off in such a beautiful, promising way. The interplay of the piano as it starts, bouncing off the guitar, some lovely bright acoustic in there. That's what I'm talking about. Not... I, well, I, I do like that particular riff, but I have described the bass in other um, parts as semi-rhythmic. It's not always there. It's, it's, it's going down and it's coming back up. It's going down and it's coming back up. I, I think the song works pretty well, though. It, it's... The lyrics again. Who's Julie? I don't know. Mm, I don't yeah, really, Julie and John. But I also don't get really like a sense of who they are. I'm not saying that Bono has to sing, you know, Julie works in an office, you know, nine to five, that kind of thing. He's not David Bowie. Oh, he was going to say, you know, back to uh, back to old Bowie. I, I'm happy that for there to be a sense of mystery about Julie, but I don't care about Julie or John in this track. Really, I don't think it com- comes across that well. I'd agree with that. I didn't think I. I did think who's Julie, who's John, right at the very start. But by the end, I had forgotten a, a, about it. This song, as I said, a juxtaposition because the the lyrics don't necessarily aren't represented that well by the music. There is a sense that they are te- absolutely terrified of this at this point of failure. Mm. They believe they can achieve something. But the thought that they can't is just driving them crazy. I mean, is that what the chorus means to you with that big sinking down? Because I think thematically that makes sense and it reflects what you're saying. I really hate the chorus to this song because I think there's such nice light touches in the and space and breath in the um, in the verses, particularly with that piano. But then when it hits the chorus and you get, I fall down and this huge, just sinking feeling. And I'm thinking, the energy's here, lads. Where's the melody? I think Bono's trying to create um, the idea that even if they do fail, it's okay because they can pick themselves up and carry on. He's trying to do that, but he doesn't do that very well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But he isn't Bono of 2000. or He's not Bono of 1987. He's Bono of 1981. And that persona and that character doesn't exist yet. No. This is still a very ordinary Bono. They're all just ordinary guys. Look at the album cover, for Christ's sake. It's which you apparently love. I I I I don't love it. I like it, and I understand. I feel I understand it a certain way. I threw a brick through a window, and it sounds like you too have thrown Larry Mullen Jr. in a cave because that's how enormously echoey and full of reverb his uh, drum sound at the moment is it a good thing is it a bad thing i'm not sure but it's a very distinctive quality to this song and by the end of the um by the end of the song it sounds like the band have just completely left larry in this cave alone and he's just sort of descending deeper and deeper louder and louder do these drums become listen to the end of the song it's crazy but effective i don't know make your mind up poor larry Poor Larry. If you could leave one member of you two in a cave, who would it be? It would probably, based on this album, it would be Clayton. Oh, come on. No, I will not. I think uh, I think Adam's just not particularly great on this on this whole album, to be honest. But I mean, you're asking me to you're asking me to get rid of one of my favourite people, and that I will not do. Okay, so um, I threw a brick through a window. It's got a great guitar riff. It's quite catchy. However, although this is always an interesting song, and I think I'm always hooked by the the drums at the start, by the kind of choppy guitar playing that Edge is using, there is something nevertheless held back, missing from this, that means that it isn't essential. I mean, I talked earlier on about the fact that there is a very low presence of October, actually a hidden presence apart from, you know, that track being included in the end as a as a bonus track. But there's nothing else on, on the um nineteen eighty best of, is there? Mm, I, no, no. Not even Gloria. No. 
Okay, well, that's that's a disgrace. But it does show how the, these are not catchy songs. Do you find this a catchy or interesting song, Sam? I, I, th- I find it a really interesting song, and in a way, I find that... Because uh, I, I do see the first three songs, um, Gloria, I, I Fall Down and I Threw a Brick for a Window. It's kind of a trilogy to start the album. It's full of angst, this this song. And I think that angst is possibly better presented than in the other two songs. Although the other two songs I do really like. Mm. Larry's drums for me, he doesn't sound like he's in a cave for me. I didn't make that comparison. It is like a heartbeat. So maybe I did notice an echo. But I've just described it a different way. I think you're talking about the the toms at the start. The yeah. I can get that. That's a, definitely a, um, it, a heart thing. But when he hits a snare, well, it's like a war. It, it's like this this album does start to sound like a war. Rather yep. interestingly, I think there's a lot of different ideas. There's a lot of different emotions, and I re I just really feel like it's deliberate. There's a certain discord to it. Some riffs, bass lines, drum beats don't last to the end of the song, which isn't a bad thing. The the and then something better will come along. And it, I don't know if it's because it's rushed, but I'd kind of like the way it moves. Uh, and I think I think in a lot of ways it's deliberate. Maybe it's not if you think about the way it was produced. But for me, I felt like it was a deliberate representation of the angst and the anxiety they, they were going through. Well, I think... It's riddled with frustration as an album, and yet some of the best moments come out of that frustration. And I think the swagger to this song is really good. Um, I think in the verses, Bono and I lock together really well. The whole band does, and there is a swagger to it. But then again, there, there is just no payoff. There's no... Where there should be a chorus, it just goes, and Edge starts playing the riff again, and we're back to this. And then, and then oh, the worst bit ever is the completely unironic quotation of bible verses i think from john you know no one is blinder than and there's just when i have no problem with with religion seeping into uh, u2's lyrics because it's such a rich source for them to use but just blindly quoting in a very unironic fashion in this sort of hectoring didactic pulpit way i don't think it works I it's the weakest part of the song for me i i personally don't think he was doing it deliberately to annoy us um yeah, that would be very prescient if he but thought ahead that much. He was obsessed in a way with religion at this time. Uh, I read somewhere that uh, in his downtime when they weren't recording, he would sit and read Revelations. That's what he was doing for fun. Hmm. That Not the usual activities of a 20-odd-year-old boy. A 20-year-old rock star yeah. who was just on a, you know, a sellout tour of America, finishing with two sold-out nights in New York. That, for me, encapsulates the whole album. There's things that you think should be happening to this band, and mm. they're not. They're so bogged down in things. It... All the while, Clayton's sneaking it... off, <laughs> yeah. slapping his bass around. Well, yeah, because he, he's, a, he's a good, dedicated bassist, and he was probably working on new riffs for the band. Okay, so rejoice... Uh, this album should, I think, be getting going by now. I think we've had three pretty strong songs. This track never stands out to me. I haven't. I don't care about this song. If I'm on, if I'm honest, uh, listening to it to review it, I thought that Adam looms over this song like a conscience. Um, this is on the album, at least. I think the first real attempt at a, a religious anthem, which, by the way, Bono. It's like he needs to write a religious anthem at this point. Adam is, I think, the saving grace in that he's bringing them back to rock and roll throughout the song. Um, I don't think it's a particularly strong song. Uh, we mentioned on Boy that there are certain lyrics like where Bono got to eventually Yeah. in the future. There are certain lyrics that really pop out at you. And like you say, oh God, if only he knew. You know, and, and for me, it happened with this song. Bono says, he says he'll change the world someday. I can't change the world, but I can change the world in me. 
I knew it'd be that line as well that you'd pick from that introduction, and I think it's a great line. It's good. I think it's a. I think it's a great line. I don't think it's a great song, but just really interesting. I think this is some something that we can continue to come back to. This is almost like a diary of Bono's development to becoming what he did become. Whether you love or hate the activist that Bono became, it's always there. It, it's not the kind of thing that he turned around one day. Oh, you know what? I'm a big rock star. People listen to what I say. Mm-hmm. No, he's been striving for this for a really long time. He really wants that platform to, to try and change the world and, and put an end to things that he doesn't feel are just. That line is definitely... It could sit next to a lot of his more contemporary lyrics and you can see the line of development there. This is, without a doubt, one of my f- top ten favourite U2 songs of all time. Okay, Now, maybe I'll change this later on, but that was probably why I was being quite quiet before. Um, I think it's such a good song and definitely the the you know kind of the pace is back up. Edge has got incredible riffs on this. Tyler's looking at me very, very suspiciously like he doesn't believe me. And it's all the things that Gloria was promising. It's fast, it's rocky, it's messy. Edge is, is just doing kind of little different variations quite sloppily on his guitar, but all the reverb works there together. Larry's drum solo in the, in the middle. Who knew Larry could be ever allowed to do drum solos? And here you really, really hear his passion coming through, the energy, the excitement, that kind of thing. Adam has a bass solo on this song, doesn't he? If he does, I don't remember it. The bass line is generally like do 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 Oh sorry, no, it's Gloria where Adam has a bass solo. Yeah, that's where he's going bow, bow, bow. Yeah. yeah. So luckily Adam hasn't ruined this song with his slap bass antics, right? But Whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> Maybe we should have talked about this with Gloria. You don't like that bass line. It's fine, it's just a bit silly, isn't it? I'd love to see it live, but I'd be like It's I'd, so funky. I'd, yeah, funky. In the middle of a Christian rock anthem. It's not a Christian... I don't think Gloria is. I think this. I think Rejoice is the first real attempt at a Christian rock anthem. I think you're splitting hers, Gloria and Rejoice. Only, right, if, if Gloria was named something else... And didn't have a chorus with Latin. Okay. But back to Rejoice. I like the fact that Larry gets a solo in this, and it's incredible, despite the fact there's loads of reverb, and the, the whole song's drenched in reverb. This is where I think it actually, the production works. This is where I feel you get a huge amount of energy. There's parts in this song where you cannot hear what the hell Bono's saying. Just before Edge comes back in, I don't know whether it's the third or fourth time he's bringing in that main riff, Bono makes this guttural sort of noise where he's going and you can't really hear what he's saying. If someone's transcribed it, that's fine, but it almost doesn't matter because the pure passion of the song means that that wordlessness, that being without lyrics, that frustration makes this song an absolute hammer. Yeah, we have to review it the way we hear it as well. Yeah. No one... You can't judge an album on what you Googled afterwards. But I'm judging this one a hit. And I rejoice. Fire. I'm frankly embarrassed. I'm showing my hand early on this one. I'm embarrassed that this was the lead single to U2's second album. I would say it's nothing less than an embarrassment and a disgrace. What do you think, Tyler? I disagree. Okay. What I will agree to is maybe it shouldn't be on this album. It should be in the bin. (laughs) I think this is a nice link between Boy and October. So if it was a standalone single, which was nothing but a link... An electrical storm, if you will, or maybe... Yeah. They've done loads of these ones, haven't Ordinary they? Love. Yeah. Even uh, though that was a soundtrack. Th- those kinds of an things. An invisible. Yes. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, a sweetest thing. Well, we're going to do our sweetest thing in our dirty day later on. But yes, I agree with that. Uh this song sounds more like Boyd than any other song on the album, but the themes are concurrent with October. There's a fire in me. Does it say I'm boiling over or something? I didn't, I didn't look at the lyrics to this one. I don't look at all of them. <laughs> wow, how professional. <laughs> um, what, so you look at every single lyric on no, the album? No, no, no I of don't. course you don't. No. But. I, but I generally don't bring attention to that fact either. I definitely think there's a bit where he's going, I'm boiling over. Yeah, but there's a, there's a fire in me, there's ideas of anger and frustration. 
wanting to uh, do something that you I'm just remembering bits of it in my head and I'm getting annoyed. <laughs> there goes the fire, fire, fire. Just there's so many bad decisions. Every decision is made poorly on this. And I, the thing is, eventually, the song actually achieves something pretty... By the time by the time it gets to the end, it's, yeah. it's something pretty excellent, actually. There is a real um, power by the time you get into the end section. It's just not worth the, the price of admission at the start of it. And particularly the really weak plaintive um, call by Bono at the start, the wobbly bass that comes in boom, 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 boom and then Bono walks in ah, like he's Mr. Sex or something <laughs> Mr. Sex <laughs> I look it's quite relevant, we've just had a new U2 song released okay, right, as, now, right now as of recording, the day is Late October, late late August, flipping October, <laughs> late August two thousand sixteen. Yeah, right. We've just had we've just a new single which we may talk about, might might not. We've only had to wait two years for that, okay? Which for us now in two thousand sixteen, that's that's quite a that's, short amount of time. That's thick and fast for contemporary U two. Oh, absolutely. This was the first thing that uh, that people got after Boy. Which I think is important because Boy really made a huge impact. So people would have been really anxious to to hear a new song. They really wanted a new U two. I think they would have had a really yeah, really really clear fan base who would wanted to hear more. I don't think it's terrible. I think it. I think it's a good song. It's a good link between the two albums. No, it shouldn't be on the album. It's pr- it's probably better placed as a B side. But I, I do think it links very well. I'm not too disappointed. They didn't need the best song they'd ever written. They just needed to go, oh, you two are doing some more. Tomorrow. I want you to come back tomorrow and we'll do the next podcast. Okay, then. It's a deal. All right. Now now we've done that. <laughs> what yep. do you think of this song? Uh, now, we've, now we've done that excellent link. Tomorrow. As good of a, as a link as fire was. <laughs> I love this song. I think this is the freshest they sound on the whole album. I love the pipes. Was a bit surprised at the subject matter, um, as was Bono, because he, he apparently he only realised later what it was about, which not entirely sure I believe. But this song, according to Bono, is about his mother's funeral. Um, but at the time. He didn't really. He didn't really think it was about anything. It was just a song he was writing, and then when he came back to listen to it again, um, well, talk to Mister Sigmund Freud about you know repressed feelings about your mother and how they manifest in unusual ways. And to be fair, look at the history of you two. When we got to Mofo, Iris, obviously those are more conscious interactions, but it's something that you know such an event happening. Of course, it would uh, have an have an impact. Yeah. It makes sense on this song, which is a beautiful song. And maybe we can get Mr. Freud uh, on as a guest in the near future. From beyond the grave. Oh, he's dead. Never mind. Um, Bono is uncharacteristically vulnerable in, in this song. He's really kind of stripping down, um, again, going back to the theme of October. October is in autumn. Uh, the leaves are falling off the trees. I'm sure that will come up again. But Bono is kind of just letting himself be shown. Writing an emotional rock song, which I don't think was the it's thing not, to do at the time. It's not hip, is it? But it's great now. Yeah, he pours his heart and soul into this song. I love songs that change from the start to the finish. My favourite Beatles song is A Day in the Life. And as I say, the pipes at the beginning of the of the song are great. And I just it's a pleasure to hear them. It sounds very traditional, very Irish. And then towards the end of the song, it's absolutely bouncing. And as you would say, it's a flipping good song. It is a flipping good song. It's nice that it doesn't have the messiness of the rest of the other song's production, I would say, that it is beginning in this sparse, clear way. And I think this is a matter of light and shade. You have to have points on the album which are more quiet, less busy, and this is really a highlight because some of the busyness we've heard on the earlier tracks is really not warranted. It's just a bluster rather than a rocking out or jam, that kind of thing. I, I really like the song, but I don't have too much more to say about it apart from that it really is jumping by the end of it. Yeah, it's great. Um, I wish I wish it hadn't have been forgotten, and I feel like it has. 
October. We reach the title track. This is a similar moment in my mind to Into the Heart. We have a lot of space. We have simple, hard-edged, that was not an intentional pun, but it can stay there. Hard-edged. It wasn't funny, so don't worry. Silvered with reverb, made beautiful and sonorous with delay. This is such a pretty moment in the album. And then it becomes so much... This is where the actual religious imagery works for me and actually gives a richness that you perhaps wouldn't find if they hadn't accessed it. It's a nice, sparse moment, which you'll see them do time and again after this with things like MLK, running to standstill, and it's no surprise that it's the longest stretch where Edge is just on his own. Not the rest of the band mucking things up. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, That's a joke, It is very very like um, Anne Cat Dub and Into the Heart where things calm down. However, on this album it works. I love the tomorrow into into October transition. I felt like when I was listening to this, I was being seduced by the song. It's such a beautiful piano, I think. It's, it goes on for two minutes or something before Bono you know, even comes into it. It's, it's that undressing, it's the leaves falling from the trees, it's the letting, letting yourself be yourself and be seen for who you are instead of trying to live up to what you perceive the expectations to be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it got very, very deep there, but I do agree with what you're saying, and I think that actually comes across in the vulnerability of the vocal quality. I think this is a moment where it would be so easy, this is a moment where they are standing out there being vulnerable, and it'd be so easy to just say, this is mawkish or over-sentimental. But again, just to harken back to the, the only time I've seen this perform live, it was an incredible moment unified the whole crowd phenomenal yeah there is a there's also um a strange acceptance to the themes and fears of the previous tracks the lyric for example the trees are stripped bare of all they were what do i care october kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall but you go on it's like they found a certain peace that even if this doesn't work out even if this is the the end of you two and the final track there is an acceptance that they're going to be okay. And it's really quite, again, it's vulnerable, It's but it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. To play devil's advocate here, if we're going to say, if we're going to say that what Bono's doing here is talking about a certain transitory nature to everything around him, apart from this one you, you know, but you go on, if he's simply referring to Christ there, and we're meant to take it, or God, or Christianity in some form, that makes the track, for me, seem a bit less a bit less interesting than if it was something a bit more mysterious, like perhaps some form of love that, I mean, maybe even his love for Ali at that time. Maybe, this song just seems to have a different resonance these, these days when you hear it live, when Bono isn't into such a more strict or more literal form of, of religiosity. So, I don't know. I don't know really know what I'm saying here, apart from the fact that the song is more is made more interesting if we maybe take this in a more contemporary sense than simply saying, "Oh yeah, Bono was just talking about Jesus there." Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true, and I, I I don't really get the the huge religious significance about this, although it is obviously about that. But I do want to talk about the name October, because mm-hmm. I feel it's time because. No, we we can't keep avoiding... It's a title track throwdown! ...why it's called October. Um, I've always considered this to be called October because of um, that lyric, the trees are stripped bare, autumn, the rejuvenation of nature, the life cycle and all that stuff. It's a circle of life. But when you look at you 2 the amount of things that happen to this band in October, even now is sodding ridiculous. <laughs> they were they they were first formed in October. Uh, they had their first live television gig in October. Boy came out in October. October came out in October. I wouldn't be surprised if War did as well, though. I think that was February. But you two just seem to have this connection to October. 
probably deliberate now, but at the at the time, I don't think I, I don't know if they could have had that much control over it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I feel like uh, the second album would have been released the second it was it was finished, and it just so happened to be October. Well, my question is, well, who cares? Well, I care. <laughs> But who cares? I mean, it's like just... I, it's, it's a just month. Part, I'm sorry, Johnny. It's part of my analysis. That's fine. I'm just saying that... I'm not saying no one should care. I'm just saying, what does this all add up to beyond a hill of October-shaped beans? I mean, it's just... It's a month where stuff happens. I think it's a tribute to a month that they feel a certain affinity to. Okay. Because all the previous Octobers, you know, things have happened, and then October... 1980. Not all the previous ones. You've said like seven, well, not even seven things. Well, we've got 76. Bonner bought some new shoes in October. <laughs> we've got yeah, seven... had a particularly good meal in October. We've got 76, we've got 79, we've got 80, we've got 81. Was the band formed in October? It was. Okay. As I've just said. I'm convinced it's the best name for an album ever. <laughs> good. Next. With a shout, Jerusalem. So the pace is back up here, um, and there's some great riffs from Edge throughout this. I think he returns to some of the uh, more kind of piercing riffs that he expertly used on both Gloria and Rejoice. But I also think that there's not really a melody to fall back on here beyond the sort of chanting of, of Jerusalem. Again, we're, we're not really... The verses are pretty good. We, we get a nice start to a song. And then there's just not that much to, to get into, really. But I like the energy. Um, but the imagery doesn't really speak to me at all. Uh, I've always felt that the uh, production on this song particularly um, sounds a bit amateur. Yep. Drums sound bad at the start. Yeah, it does not sound good, this song. Uh, and, and it sticks out like a, a sore thumb. Because even even though everything we've said about the production, it's it's not terrible. You know, it's still it's still a quality recording in in you know for the most part. Uh, I feel like every riff is repeated, every drum beat is repeated. And not in the, you know, standard way that you you know you, you compose a song. It's just overly repetitive. It gets really, really dull, and it will not end. I think it's four minutes, three seconds, and it deserves to be about two minutes. Well, there's some there's some really great horns in there at the end. It's like they're in the room. But I mean, I mean, they just don't belong there at all, and it's it's odd, and it just does seem that they just want to fill a little section. I mean, we'll see on the next album. There were frequent. Frequent occasions when there happened to be a travelling musician going past. But here, comparative to war, there isn't that kind of there isn't that kind of increasing of quality brought to the song by these horns. They just happen to be there. They don't even sound particularly jubilant. They just sound awful. Mm-hmm. Um it's sort of a waste of time. Yeah, lame ending. Not a great song. Don't care for it. Stranger in a Strange Land, really drawing uh, to the end of this album now. I like this song. It's a song that always stuck out for me, but it's because I I, I knew another band that did a, did a song called Stranger in a Strange Land. What band might that be? That was Iron Maiden. Okay. Right? But back to Bono and the U2s. I really like this song because it really encapsulates the growing pains, maturing into a world uh, they thought they understood, only to find that they're wrong. So you think Bono is a stranger in a strange land here? Well, yeah, it is. It is uh, I should I should mention that this is uh, based on a book, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this author's name right, but it's uh, Robert A. Heinlein. Yeah, Heinlein. I think it's Heinlein. Heinlein, yeah. Um, I'm sure people will correct us in the comments. The, 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 I, I hope so, because <laughs> without them, we are nothing. Well, I, I, I was joking then, but I don't want to do down the fans, the many, many fans. Of which they, they are many. <laughs> well, who would not be a fan <laughs> of that kind of grammar? Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. So go on. The story focuses on... A stranger. A human raised on Mars and his 
struggle to adapt uh, and understand humans and their culture when he comes back down to Earth. Okay. So I really like that. I actually want to read the book now. I should have read it in preparation, but I didn't. But Stranger in a Strange Land, for me, is the album cover. Well, that's not saying much, is it? Right. Bear with me on this one. I'm going to take you on a little journey, all right? Yeah. We've already discussed everything that's happened to you 2 since Boy came out. They've been to America. They've uh, publi- uh, published the album worldwide. They've been d- doing all this new stuff. They left Dublin, which was a huge, huge character on Boy, I-, I-, I think. They saw a world that amazed them, enthralled them, uh, made them question who they were, question th- things they thought. And then when and they... also showed up some of the things they thought. I think that return to religion is possibly that's part of that because if they're traveling, seeing yeah, all these th- things, I think, I think that's undeniable. There was some some rock that they could hold on. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. No, that's a good. It's a good point. But you know that feeling when you come back off holiday and the, and you try and slip into everyday life, but you just you just can't. Nothing seems right because yesterday you're on a beach and yeah. you've had no worries for two weeks and. Imagine what that's like to go away and work for for months and months, and then to come back to where you think home is, but everything's everything's still the same, but just that little bit different. And when I look at the um, October cover, it's the four of them dishevelled, looking around in a familiar setting, but none of them look particularly comfortable. Looking off in in lots of different directions as well. Uh, yeah. So that is why I am now a fan of the album art. I may be making up my own meaning, but that's what I see now when I look at October. That seems reasonable. On an aesthetic level, I get what you're saying. I still hate the album cover. I think it sticks out like a sore thumb. But this song has a great deal of promise at the start of it. I really like the kind of military drumming that is going on with Larry. I think the riff is really good. Actually, not a billion miles away from uh, the band you mentioned before, in terms of it, this is quite a strong riff. Oh, that it starts I, off I with, mean, yeah. You know, I mean, it's. I'm not. I'm not saying that it sounds like I'm in, but it's. It's heavier. It's heavier, it's heavier and it has. Do, yeah, yeah, and it has energy. And Bono starts with another one of those classic uh, cries, similar to the start of Electrico, but this is the problem. Whereas Electrico just keeps the energy up and it never gives up Stranger in a Strange Land goes right down that terrible lane and you get the pace goes down and then who should show his head <laughs> who should show the headstock of his base but Adam Clayton and it really does suck this I mean I'm not blaming Clayton it's bad lyrics it's lack of song craft the verses are terrible I agree with most of that. I do think it's a very lame ending, but I think the f- the first thing, the f- sorry, the first time we hear Edge's sound that would become Edge's sound, yeah, is on this track. What at the start? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and I heard that, and I just thought, oh, that's the, that's the first time I've I've heard that. Yeah. Since I've been on this review two journey you get glimmers but yeah it's a really strong showing of it i think and if you can take anything away from these early albums it's the first time you hear those little um nuances that they became well you know so well known for yeah when you listen to something you go oh they were they were doing that then yeah it, and it's it's just really interesting because you you can start to get this building and this construction of a band, and when I heard the uh, the guitar, the harmonics, I just absolutely loved it, and I just I really felt like I, w- I was on a we overuse the term musical journey to t- take the piss out of Larry Mullen on uh, Rattle and Hum. Oh, Rattle and Hum, yeah. But it is a musical journey for I, us, and I just wish they went the right way in their musical journey. They start off so well, and then they go down. Crap Avenue, but that's what they do. They experiment, and they, you know, they may still, they may still be yet to find a sound which takes them forward for the next twenty years. Mm. Which is the interesting thing for a band like you two. So the next song, uh, penultimate track on October, Scarlet. Yet again, 
another attempt by Bono to create his religious anthem. <laughs> I love this phrase, the religious anthem, which apparently Gloria is completely immune to. It's not immune to it. It's a good song. It, you, you can listen to Gloria without thinking of any religious connotations. But I think Scarlet is... It's nice enough. I don't have a problem with Rejoice being in there. I think it's it's a nice little sound place. I would say this song is the Sorbet song. Okay, it's a nice little thing to have between the kind of stodgy mulch of uh, Stranger in a Strange Land and what is yet to come. It sounds like a slow funeral march, certainly at the beginning. I like the harmonics. I like the the ambience of it. I think actually maybe we're getting a tiny little glimmer of the kind of sonic landscape that they would go on to doing actually Unforgettable Fire, which doesn't actually appear that much on on, on War. I, I didn't get that when I listened to it. Um, I might be clutching at straws. And, and you mentioned you had certain rules for yourself when you listened to this album, as did I. And one of them was knowing the religious content and not being particularly religious, although I have no problem with anybody being religious mm -hmm. at all. Everybody has that right to believe, and that is a beautiful thing if you do have faith. This song, it's just so overwrought. It's the preacher in the street. Um, whereas Bono is uh, subtly and slightly laced uh, religious themes and lyrics into other songs, to varying, de varying degrees, mm. he throws the whole pepper pot on this song. And I, I, I felt suffocated by the religious connotations and the religious themes. And I don't think it's a very good song. It's not really a song, is it? I mean, it's sort of just a, a thing. Well, yeah. A sketch. The, the first two albums, I, I think there are a lot of unfinished ideas on. And this is one of them. And I think it was a desperate, we need another track, lads. Let's put that on. And speaking of another track and uh, running out of ideas and reusing things, what might be round the corner? Is that all? And that might be the obvious question to ask. I wish it was. <laughs> well, I was a bit... I'm, I feel a little bit conflicted about this song because it's very obviously an incorporation of that early riff from The Cry, which you can hear on Unforgettable... Not Unforgettable, Under a Blood Red Sky. Somebody cry, somebody cry. It's the same guitar riff that used to introduce Electrico. And you can tell that the lads have been pushed back in the studio and they've said, look, just use any riff you've got lying around. And you mentioned before that you think things sound a bit similar in places. Well, this is, you know, cut and paste the same thing. Yeah. However, having said that, and although it is a little bit tainted, I quite like this song. I think it's one of the better songs on, on October. It's got a good pace to it. It's bold. I like the fact that the frustration actually pushes itself through to actually being a song. If Bono is asking, is this is that all? Then at least they've made something. They've made you know a good two minutes or so out of it. I feel like the lack of... And there's barely any lyrics in this song. I, I felt like it asked more questions than it answered. What, what, what is the meaning? I mean, do you have a, a particular meaning in mind from this song? Because I... I, I don't, and I wrote down a few of the questions that I found myself asking while I was listening to this. Okay. It's like, when a, when you're doing a press conference, is that all, or, you know, are there any more questions? You know, that, mm. that kind of thing. Is religion the be-all and end-all? Which okay. I found an interesting Well, question. that would be interesting, but I think that wouldn't be... I mean, I, 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 I'm not interested in an intention being the, the final say. I, got, I, got, I just got the impression like uh, this album is a conflict between religion and between being a, in a rock band. Yeah, and can you born out of that and, conflict. And finding that the way to combine the both, which they did, and they did it really, really well uh, later on. Yeah. But is it the end of you too? Because is, is the struggle too much? If we fail, is this it? Are we done? Mm. Is this the last song we'll ever write? To sing this song makes me happy. To sing this song makes me angry. That kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's nice in that sense that it's reflecting on all those questions. But I also feel it's a case of, again, Bono just being like throwing a pen and some paper and saying, look, even if you're just writing about this precise scenario you're going through, there need to be words on this album yeah. and you need to sing them with gusto. Which I don't think I've been fair enough on Bono, actually. 
the vocal performance in this is really strong from him, I think, in terms of just the quality and the effort he's putting in. Still hasn't found melodies, still writing pretty blustery lyrics at a lot of points, but he deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, there was only one song, and I think it was Fire, where I felt uh, like he wasn't being Bono, he was still trying to be yep. a few of his influences. Um, but Fire, as I've said, is it's it's a go-between. It, it's not. I don't really see it as being on this album. It was. It's a song that mm. links the two albums. I mean, maybe this is why we've why we've kind of strayed away from talking about it at all because it might be very ins, insubstantial as a track. Yeah, um, there's not really anything else I can say to it. It asks more questions than it answers. It's a poor final song. Um, I actually think at the end you can hear the wrap up of this song. The very very listen to the last few seconds of this. You can hear it all just going like, and then Larry going, and I think you can hear, this is what I hear, Larry chucking down his sticks. And I get a sense of it like, thank God it's done. I don't think Steve Lillywhite even took his coat off to mix this song. No. It was in, all right, that'll do, we're off. Let's go on tour for another year. Mm. And at least there is a little bit of a gap, and I think they needed a gap just to create something worth creating. So there we have it, that was U2's second album, October. So much harder to review than to listen to. Uh, I really I, I really did enjoy listening to the album, and it did make me smile, and it did make me, you know, happy. But now, Johnny, it's time for everybody's favourite feature. Sweetest thing. Okay, so my sweetest thing, it's probably not a surprise, it's Rejoice. Well, I'm not going to rejoice at that, but fine. Uh, mine, I really struggled with. I didn't know where to go with it. Um, October or Tomorrow. Absolutely love both of those songs. I do feel like I've discovered Tomorrow from doing this. So Tomorrow gets it for me. That's that, nice. Yeah. That's my sweetest thing. And now it's time for everybody's Dirty Day. Okay. My Dirty Day. It was a struggle, this one, between Fire and Stranger in a Strangeland. Because one is annoying and one is quite tiring. But definitely having discussed this and thought about it a little bit more, Fire has got to take it. It's got to take the gold. It's an absolute pile of rubbish. Um, Is that all is my Dirty Day? Uh, Scarlet was a very close second, but uh, is that all? Just annoyed me. Okay, so there we have it. Our sweetest things and our dirty days, and October has been successfully reviewed. My question to you, Tyler, and it was the same question I asked last week, is this an album by the kind of criteria that we have been setting out, which are admittedly vague, but... Do you, can you refer to this as an album, or is it just a collection of bits? Are you asking me if this is an album, or if this is a flipping album? I'm asking, is it a flipping album? I Yes, it is. I, I, I do see it as an album. I, there's a lot of things wrong with it, but there is um, a learning experience there, particularly for a, a young up-and-coming band uh, let's face it no one does uh, an album the year after anymore no uh, effectively what this album would be would be a a sub album uh, kind of what they intended with Zoropa I know Zoropa a lot of people consider it to be a fully fledged album but to go to an, go to another band like take that did progress and they did progressed that was a very left left field turn that you went there. That's a great album. I have no problem with That's it. That's absolutely saying. a great album. Um, but it's it's a sub album. It's a follow up. It's not a standalone thing. So is it okay to view October as a as a follow up to Boy, uh, considering the terms of of how they produced it and how it was written? I think it is. But overall, I do think. 
the first three for this band. That's a story. Yeah, definitely. It's a trilogy. It works. The lessons they are learning from Boy and October really you you get the, what well, the proof is in the pudding. And in that final part with War, little sneak peek to next week, mm. that is where you two really establish themselves for me as the great band that they would become. I think there's nothing much more to say than thank you for listening. This has been the review two of October. Thank you very much. Uh, please like us, comment us, tell us if you agree with us, if you hate us, that's fine. Just let us know. And there's nothing else to say other than goodbye, goodbye. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at review2contact at gmail.com. That's R-E-V-U-2-contact at gmail.com.